0: You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. All right, good evening and welcome to tonight's Grace Matters, where we do need grace to talk about matters that are relevant and important to the church. And tonight we have a a really good um, panel, I'm really looking forward to hearing from our our speakers about how to honor our elders, but also how to um, integrate and worship and support one another within a church that is multi-generational, um, intergenerational. So we want to hear from different uh, generations on how we can worship together. And uh, one note as we uh, before we get to our panel, uh, Jim McLaughlin was going to join us tonight, but uh, Diane is not feeling well, and um, I asked if it would be okay to share that, and he said yes. Please uh, pray for for her. He'll be taking her to the to the doctor in the morning. Um, so as we seek the Lord in His Word and uh, through the the speakers on the panel this evening, uh, let's also bring Diana Diane uh, to the Lord for uh, prayer and uh, support for her health. As well as uh, Jim Acock is feeling a bit under the weather, um, uh, but I think he's allowed now. Uh, but he still wanted to, he, he needed to be here. And I appreciate that. So we're going to pray for you as well, sir. And uh, won't you join me in prayer? Father God, thank you for gathering us here this evening. Thank you for being our good God and Christ for being our, our great healer. So, Lord, as we seek your face this evening, um, seeking to honor you by um, appreciating and learning from the wisdom that you have uh, given through experience and through maturity of uh, walking years with you, I pray, Lord, that you would guide our conversation. I pray also for our sister Diane that you would uh, guard over her and just bring her, restore her to full health and to... uh, restoration to once again uh, worship with us in a very very soon uh, as quickly as as you see fit and we pray also for jim who's not feeling well i pray lord that you would give him strength and endurance um, and clarity of thought to speak out uh, the wisdom that you have given him this evening but also to just heal his body completely that he can continue uh, ministering to us as we seek also to minister to him we thank you now and offer these things to your honor to your glory And in the name of Jesus, amen. So as we look this evening, uh, you'll notice several verses on the screen. And the first one I want to, to share with you is from the Psalms. Psalm 71, verse 18 says this, So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. So tonight we want to both honor um, those elders before us, but also to share mutually in how we can encourage one another. So we're going to learn, we're going to share, we're going to encourage, and uh, we're going to do that as, we, as you see um, verses from Scripture, both Old and New Testament, up there to encourage our conversation. And if you have something to share in our conversation, if you have a question that you want to ask our panel... You can get out your phone, your mobile device, and check into slido.com and David will put the code up there. You can send in your questions and we'll get those answered um, uh, straight away. So without further ado, let's introduce tonight's panel. I'm gonna start on the far end with our elder, uh, Jim Acock. I'm glad that uh, you're able to join us this evening. And next to him, Brad is filling in for Jim McLaughlin. And um, next to him, Brent Ben Grumbach. A on this thing. So we're in descending chronology order. And then with us also from uh, the youngest among us, not the youngest generation, uh, it was pointed out to me that uh, even my 10 year old might be the next generation we need to have on this panel, but maybe for next time. But Sammy Ray is, uh, joining us and I'm looking forward to hearing from from each of you this evening so um, if you don't mind I want to start Jim with you and Brad if you want to fill in after when you think back where we are here 2019 and as you grew up a a child of a different generation than now um, give us a, a brief look at some of those things that could be very simple very fun things that you enjoyed or things that kind of impacted you, shaped who you are?
1: Okay. I want you to know that I, I love this church. I've been here ever since they started, except I guess two, three months to start with. And I love Brad. And I love the staff. And I love everybody here. So I want to preface that before I, I get started. <laughs> I came up in a entirely different world than what you have here. Not a different generation, but a different world. We—I was the second of four boys. Um, we didn't have any girls, and I didn't know anything about girls except you just didn't mess with them because they'd run over you and slap you, and and you had trouble if you mess with the girls. And I was born at home, in out in the farm, and born during the depression, and. We didn't have any electricity until I was in my teens. And so you can imagine how we got along this kind of weather uh, back in northern North Carolina about that time. Um, You know, we we never thought about uh, the things that we didn't have because that's just the way it was. That's just the way it was. I remember we worked through the... Days and the weeks, and on Sunday afternoon was nothing to ride the bicycle fifty to sixty miles around uh, around where we lived. The typical dress of a of a farm boy like me was a pair of beer ball balls and a cap. Beer ball balls was to put your watch in and your fishing hook. Put you, you put your knife in the pocket, and so you went barefooted. You we didn't wear any shoes from about uh, end of uh, April until September when you started school. The whole summer, uh, we sell them all in the schools, in the shoes. <laughs> um, it, I, I did not know, know what a store bought towel was until I was about 10 or 12 years old. The towels we used, we bought, we'd buy a 50 pound bag of flour, and we bought uh, uh, feed for the animals and those feed sacks and the flour bags is what we had for towels. And you didn't have an individual towel, you had a family towel. Think about it now. <laughs> and in the, in the winter time um, you didn't have to worry about using a towel because you didn't take a bath you just washed off. You had a, a pan there and got around the potbelly stove and you'd wash this part, and then you'd go wash the others, and you didn't have enough water on you to use a towel to dry with, so that was that was no uh, problem there. And we had, as a boy, we had two sets of long handles. You wore one one week and the, ne- one the next week. And every Saturday night you took a bath, not a bath, but you took a wash whether you needed it or not. And in the wintertime, we used... Vitalis hair tonic. Any of you know what Vitalis hair tonic is? Boy, we'd slick our hair down with that Vitalis hair tonic, and we might wash our hair once every two, three weeks if it needed during that time. And people cannot believe that uh, we live like we did. Somebody said, well, you act like you're in uh, in in a third world country. Well, that's right. No conveniences in the house whatsoever. We had running water. You ran to the well, and you got it. No convenience whatsoever. The average person could not live today like we lived back then. I'll be honest with you. They just couldn't, uh, couldn't accept it. But we did go to church. I uh, went to Sunday school every Sunday, and I went 16 years and never missed a single Sunday. We had preaching every fourth Sunday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Think about once a month, two o'clock on, on, a, on a Sunday afternoon. And um, I mean let me uh, every farm had its own butter mold. And we had one lady in the community I didn't this was told that she put a, a clean diaper over top of the churn at the night so the butter could, uh, so the uh, milk could turn and it could tr- turn it the next day. Well, somehow or another a mouse got into that but into that churn. She churned it, she took it down to the store, and she knew the man and she told him what she had done. She said, How about taking this and giving me somebody else's and they'll never know the difference? He said, Okay. So everybody had a certain mold that they put the butter in. So he took her butter back, put it in somebody else's mold. And took the same butter back to her, so she got the butter <laughs> that she was trying to get somebody else to have, and, and didn't even know it. Um, let me just share one thing. I don't know how it happened, but we had f- 49 uh, students into the, in the graduation class when I graduated, and uh, and that the superlatives. Now I don't know how they work this, but. Five superlatives I got. I got it for the cutest boy.
2: We're wondering about that, too.
1: (laughs) The most dependable, the best athlete, and the best sport, and the one that was most likely to succeed. And I was not there when they voted, but I had no idea who did all this voting but they did tell me afterwards so that's that's something to brag about I guess (laughs) then after I won't go to the I tell you I've been through this thing a thousand times in my mind I try to pray and something else will come something else will come and I'm glad to go and get this thing over tonight because it's about running me crazy trying to figure out what to to say and all because you're not interested in what I'm going to have to say (laughs) after high school I was drafted Uh, On the 28th of June 1945, uh, inducted at uh, Fort Bragg, sent to um, to South Carolina, I forgot the name of the the place now, went through infantry basic training. The war was still going on in Japan then, so we were preparing to go fight those Japs. Well, this particular occasion, we were out on the machine gun range. There were 20, 30 caliber machine guns here, and that was a target down here. And back of the machine gunners, there was a bench, and we were sitting on the bench watching and waiting our turn. And back of us was a table that had extra, the extra guns and the ammunition. Well, it was kind of raining this day, and the guns were sticking and carrying on, so the fella took the gun off of the tripod and came and put it, put it down on on the table in the back. When he put it down on the table, the the gun went off. It went through him. I was sitting right down below him. I felt something burn my neck, and I reached up, and saw a handful of blood. And uh, so they took both of us to the hospital. They just put a little something on mine and uh, put a big Band-Aid on it. They operated on him, and he, he healed up on the outside but not the inside, so the last thing we heard... That had to operate again, so I don't really know what happened to him after that. Then we went to Germany, and we've been in Germany a year. And one of my best friends was Clyde Sanford, a tall, lanky boy from Clyde, North Carolina. He didn't smoke and he didn't drink, just like me. We had a good time playing together. He said, Hey, Cock, we gotta get drunk one time before we go home. I said, Man, what are you talking about? So uh at the supper table, they said, if you eat a spoon of butter before you go to the club and drink, it, it won't be as bad on you. So I did. So we went to the club, and I had no idea what to get. So they ordered me a whiskey sour. I remember just as good as it was yesterday. I drank that and said, how in the world can people mess with this stuff? And then they said, you need one of those I got a, a Bloody Mary. Isn't that something? <laughs> I remember it as good as yesterday. I drank that and there was a French floor show going on the stage up there. She was dressed in red. I said it's a strange thing. Every time one of those girls move, all three of them move just alike. <laughs> they said Well, there's not but the one girl up there. I said well fellas that's enough. <laughs> I went back to our headquarters and went to bed. Well my oldest brother was in the Philippines at that time and he was waiting to be uh, ship back home, so I sat down and wrote him about my episode. That uh, this is New Year's Eve, nineteen forty-seven, and in the meantime, he had been shipped home, and his mail was shipped home, and that letter I wrote my brother came home, and Mom saw it. <laughs> Dad said, "You don't open that. That's to Tim. That's not to you." She opened the letter. And she read it. <laughs> Dad said she started to crying. Said, Jimmy, it's turned out to be a drunk. <laughs> now, you see, I didn't know anything about this. I got home in the spring, and um, Dad said, Jimmy, tell me about that drunk you pulled. <laughs> I said, how in the world did you know about it? And then he told me about the uh, sending the letter back home. But mom never mentioned that. But be sure your sins will find you out. But this is what I wanted, to, this is the reason I brought this up. Uh, when I went into the service, they said, well, give you two two months and you'll be smoking, and six months and you'll be drinking. Well, I had six years in, and I never smoked any, but that's the only time I ever drank anything. So I can't say I never drank anything in, in six years. Well, um... I, I I talked to some mothers after I was into the ministry, and they said, my boy was a good boy until he went into the military, and the military ruined him. And I talked to some, some parents, and they said, my, my child was a good child, so he went to school, and the school ruined him. I said, baloney. I said, the military schools never ruined anybody. All it did was give them an opportunity to prove what they were of what they were made of. And I believe that. Uh, David, our son, was in psychology class, and one of the assignments was to go to the uh juvenile courts. And he went down to this court, and this young fellow's in there. He, he'd done something right bad, I don't know what it was. And his mother was up saying, Judge, my boy was a good boy till he got with the wrong crowd. The judge says to H, he is the wrong crowd. <laughs> so here, our children learn at home what they need to know when they get out. And don't ever forget about, I never knew my dad to take a drop of liquor in his life. Never heard him drink. He smoked a pipe, and he smoked a cigar, and he, and he chewed tobacco. You know, the juiciest thing in a woman is a stuff-dipping is a a woman and a tobacco-chewing man. <laughs> That's the juiciest thing in the world. <laughs> oh, me joy, I'll, I'll duck down from that. <clears throat> um, then I, I got out of the army and I worked with my uncle, and then I went into the Air Force and to go make a career of the Air Force. And by the time I got in the Air Force, I knew I had uh, made the wrong decision. Uh, but um, on the way to Japan, um, I was on the ship and had the New Testament read it. And, and I said, Lord, uh, I said, Jim, you're dissatisfied with this and dissatisfied with that. What's going to take to, to uh, satisfy you? And just like somebody said, well, you get with the Lord, get right with the Lord and everything will be all right. Well, the first thing I did when I got to Japan, I was going to the chapel to see the chaplain. But bless your heart, he was down at the club drinking this liquor. And I didn't have any desire to go and talk with him because I was in better shape than he was in. But I met these missionaries from uh, Columbia Bible College in Columbia, South Carolina, and that's where, the God, where God began to lead. And when I got out of the Air Force, I went to Columbia. And the first week I was there, in the orientation week, one of the teachers said, some of you kids are in the wrong place. He said, the reason you're in the wrong place is you don't know whether you're saved or not. I didn't know. I'd been in church all my life. Nobody had ever approached me about being saved. Oh, you're a pretty good guy, this and that and the other. And he said, "Uh, what you need to do before you go to bed tonight, you need to get on your knees and say, Lord, if I'm not saved, I'm confessing my sins and asking you to save me. And if I am saved, I want you to give me an assurance of it. That was the sixth day of September 1952. I drove my peg down that day, and I never had to go pull it up again. It's all been settled. Uh, I don't know how much longer you. L- let me just tell. Let me, let me just tell one more event, and then I'll shut up. Uh, after, at, after we were married, Joe and I'll be married 65 years next Wednesday. Oh,
0: congratulations!
1: <laughs> she deserves a medal, doesn't you, Brad?
2: <laughs> no comment. <laughs>
1: Well, I, we were married between my sophomore and junior year at college, and we bought a trailer and lived in that. And when we graduated, we pulled the trailer to Raleigh. And then uh, I had applied to seminaries here, but they uh, I had to put in. The, they required me to put in a year in the Southern Baptist college to get into the seminary. So, but I could get into Conservative Baptist Seminary, at Denver, Colorado. So we had a 27-foot uh, tra- uh, mobile home. And so, this 26th day of August 1946, I had a 1952 six-cylinder Chevrolet that I hooked that 27-foot trailer behind and pulled it to Denver, Colorado. I had $200 in my pocket when I left, going to Denver, nearly 2,000 miles. There were no interstates then. So I knew I couldn't go through the mountains, so I took the southern route. Well, now, this is right in August. Well, we are just gone through a pot- little patch of mountains down near Gadsden, Alabama. And all of a sudden, the right tire on the trailer blew out. And here I was, what in the world am I going to do? And it stopped, in as a little uh, country people. They saw my trouble, and so they, when I went and got a 10-foot jack and jacked the trail up. It was an hour and a half after uh, the tire blew out before it cooled down enough to take it off of the, of the thing. So uh, then a, another fellow pulled up with a pickup truck. He worked for the Goodyear rubber plant. There's a Goodyear rubber plant there. So he took me down to the store, used his discount. And so we got two new tires and two new tu- two new tires and two new tubes for $102. That was $102 out of that $200 now okay, so uh, going on to Denver, going down the hills, uh, going through Missouri, we went down some hills 70 and 75 miles an hour pulling that trail down to get up the other side. Now suppose those tires hadn't blown out where they did. What happened? Going across Kansas, the temperature was 112 degrees. Had four brand new tires on the car. The right rear tire on the car went, (laughs) separated from the rim. All right, I got, well, a normal tire, and these are normal tires, you put 35 pounds of air in them. I had to put 65 pounds of air in these tires to get them up so that they wouldn't run hot. And so we got to Denver, Colorado, and I don't know how in the world we got there. And still on the $200 <laughs> when we left. I'm saying all this to say that God's good. And I, 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 uh, he is the one that direct, directed. He's sovereign. He knew how stupid I was to try to do something like this. But yet he, he looked after us. And so um, I, I could go, uh, I'll quit now.
0: <laughs> well, Brad, I don't know how you follow something like that. There's a lot of life-shaping events there.
2: I'll just take a few minutes and, and first of all say that I've known Jim and Joy just about all my life and they probably knew me just a little bit longer and um, I I would if you asked me who was my pastor it would be Jim Aycock but it wasn't until after I was saved when I was 18. I grew up in Fuquay we were in the same town and I'll just say a couple of things the only dramatic advance in my years was we went from black and white television to color television. We grew up in a uh, uh, up until the third grade in a really small home and then moved into a rather nice home and everybody in town thought we were rich but nobody in our house thought we were rich. My dad told us how poor we were all the time. Rich,
1: rich tallies. <laughs> yeah. so. he,
2: he says that and I'm like I never thought of us that way but we Times were a whole lot different. We had a lot more conveniences. We were on a, um, a party line. There were like three other, two or three other homes, and you had to wait your turn. You could, there was a certain ring that would come to your house, and uh, some interesting things happened with that. But uh, everybody, almost everybody, worked in tobacco. When I was, good grief, I don't know, ten, twelve years old, I was working in tobacco, and. You'd have to get up. You'd be leaving the house at 6 or shortly after 6. I think it was somewhere around in there. Again, maybe some of these others will know. But uh, you worked all summer long, and that was hard work priming tobacco where you'd have to go and take all the leaves off at the bottom and or whatever you were doing. Um, I got into some serious trouble when I was 16, and I won't go into those details. But I, I, I do want to talk a little bit about... How this generation of young people is a lot like my generation and how very different they are all at the same time. But I'll do that at another point. But I will say when I was 18, I had grown up in church as well all my life. Heard Jesus died for you. I had no idea what that meant. And I'd been in a, a lot of trouble. But in 1972, the Jesus movement was very strong in America. And a big revival came to my hometown, and a lot of people were making religious decisions. And I had a sense, deep down, a lot of this is not genuine. It's just kind of, you know, for show, and it's caught up in emotion. But it, I, I knew I was in trouble if something didn't happen. I was one month away from getting out of high school. And unlike Jim, who had five superlatives, is that right? You should have had six or seven. I would, if they had had a category least likely to succeed at anything, I, that's what I would, and, and and you will attest that that's the case. I mean, I barely got out of school. But one month before I got out of school, my good friend who had been saved because we had gotten in trouble, o, OD'd in Ocean Drive, so we had a lot of fun with that. We OD'd in OD. The year before, down close to Myrtle Beach, and had come to Christ. And I was thinking about religion when all of this revival was going on, but I had no idea what to do. He said, my pastor said, you just have to come through Jesus. And so on May 1st of 1972, I knelt by my bed and said, Lord, I'm coming through Jesus. Jim Aycock was my friend's pastor. (laughs) So my mother would go out to the church on Sunday night. She was... Her walk with the Lord was just beginning and quite a connection there. But like I say, there's a lot to talk about in those last few years. It, I, I tell people that I was a hippie as much as you can be a hippie and live at home. Um, it, it it There are some real complications to that. My parents both wanted to throw me out of the house. Fortunately, it was never at the same time. <laughs> she would say, you, he's got to go. And my dad would say, "No," nah, nah, And then it'd be reversed the next week, you know. But I don't know what I would have done. But uh, the Lord saved me. And um, I'm so privileged to be in church with uh, Jim. Even though I never attended the church, <clears throat> that church took me in as a member and ordained me. <clears throat> because I left from high, from, uh, Fuquay, right after high school, to go to TVR, Teen Valley Ranch, and from there to Tennessee Temple. But every time I'd come home, that was what I considered my home church, and they ordained me. So it's Fellowship Baptist Church's fault, and really it's Jim Jim's <laughs> fault if you if you have too many problems. Lord, <laughs>
1: forgive me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Well, there are obviously a, a lot of different experiences that you could have growing up in, in the same area, but in different generations. Um, so I want to get voices from, from all of you here. Uh, what are some of the, the benefits that we can receive by worshiping together in a church where there are multiple generations? And I'll, I'll ask, uh, as I think about it, David, if you could just cycle through every couple of minutes, move to the next slide, and um, so we can see the, the passage of Scripture to kind of lighten light our path.
3: Well, in terms of worship, I think that, you know, from my perspective, one of the biggest benefits is just the examples that you see, uh, you know, every so often I'll, I'll nudge Jen and say, you know, look at the ACOX over there. that's going to be us one day, you know, and, and then I look at the first two rows and the entire youth is sitting there, you know, worshiping, singing, praying, and I say, well, that can that's going to be our girls one day, you know, and our girls are seeing uh, our church family and our community and the way we, we love each other and we're there for each other and we, we, we treat each other. And, and just so I think that example and that, that kind of, uh, faith, faith faith-filled life and that biblical perspective on, on life is, is the biggest advantage and the biggest, one of the biggest benefits of that.
4: I feel like um, just having like multiple generations in our church, worshiping together and like just connecting with one another is just like a really great reflection of the kind of people that God wants for his kingdom. Mm -hmm. And um, I just, I really appreciate Grace Community Church for that because I feel like we represent that pretty well. Um... And we get to see different people in different stages in their walk with Christ, and that's pretty cool, and we get to um, share experiences that way too.
0: Yeah, that uh, spiritual maturity is not always a direct correlation to chronological age, is it? So we can we can learn, but also um, teach one another. I just want to say right at this point that I often say to the
2: college students we can't do without your passion and you can't do without our wisdom not that you're incapable of wisdom or we're incapable of foolishness and and passion we are at a certain point incapable of too much passion I can tell you but we we just need each other god designed us in this way
0: so if god designed blessing to be together in multiple generations multiple ages What are some of the challenges that we may face here at this church uh, as we seek to, as Paul wrote to Timothy, to pass on these things not only to the next generation, but to the next generation who will then turn around and pass it on to others?
4: So I would say for me, definitely, it's just like getting out there and talking to other people that are, you know, not my age. Um, I feel like sometimes it can be hard to connect with somebody who's not going through the same experiences as you. Um, So that's something I need to work on.
2: The Navigators had quite an impact on my early Christian years. Very discipleship oriented. And they told us that the initiative has to be with the disciple, actually, rather than the discipler. Um, if you want, for, Second Timothy two two talks about finding faithful men. I think that's one of the things that's often missed in this process, where it where it goes from one generation to the next. Really, you have to be teachable. The the navigators talked about being fat and. Uh, so I've been working at that ever since. But faithful, available, teachable. Those qualities you need to have if you're going to be a disciple. And it's, one of the challenges is the younger generation always knows more than the ones that have gone before. So and, and it's true that the older generation loses touch and it's difficult to bridge that divide. And and the pace we're going now with the online world, my goodness, it is extremely easy to feel disconnected. And Simi is saying, it's difficult for me, and Simi comes to our home group. So we, really, we have an interesting home group, interesting age breakdown. And we're looking for medical students. We've got a bunch of oldies, so <laughs> next year we've lost all of our medical students. And... Next year we need some of them, but um, I, I've i been thinking about this for a long time, and we've been talking, staff's been talking, we've got some things coming up for our older saints in the, the body, but I don't want it to be just, we're going to do some activities, go to Gatlinburg and stuff like that. The older folks need to be pouring into the younger folks, and that means the younger folks have to not only be receptive, but almost initiate
0: to engage that so sammy said it was difficult to to engage w- in that respect uh, do you find it th- the same from from your perspective is it difficult to to reach out to those who are younger
1: yeah because it yeah because there's such a contrast in the age and and the interests. uh because <laughs> uh, folks like me don't know what their children young people going on and uh and so it's 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 hard to, and I guess that's our fault for not trying to find out what, what's going on. But in the circles that we're in, it, 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 it's just not that easy.
0: Well, as we look for these practical ways to, to better engage one another, um, what are some ways that maybe the, the younger generations can honor um, our, our elders
3: Well, I think always considering uh, their needs and their perspective. You know, like you said, actively pursuing uh, their ideas on things and, and uh, you know accommodating uh, their needs. For example, you know, hosting an event at the church or something, but but keeping in mind uh, uh, accessibility things and, and and time and times of events, etc. Uh, but just I think an, an example of the way one way it's really worked well uh, was you know, back a few years ago when we did the Marriage Matters, uh, small groups, and, the, and there was an effort made in those groups to arrange them so that there was almost a, a couple representing each of those generations. And, and, you know, that was just, that was a great example of, of uh, not forced, well, forced interaction, essentially, uh, so that both the elders and the, and the younger couples could, could hear those perspectives and, and kind of have that mentorship uh, in, that, in that forum.
0: So we see in Titus 2, Paul is uh, instructing both men and women, uh, specifically here in, in verses 3 and 4 or 5. He's telling older women to teach what is good and so train the young, young women and train them in, in various different areas. And he echoes that with the, with the men as well, that the, that the younger men should be self-controlled. So, Sammy, I'm going to ask you what it means for you as a young mother to have a church where there are older women, um, where there are multiple generations that that can interact in these different venues, what does that mean for you raising your kids uh, in that type of environment?
4: Um, so for me, it's it's something I can look forward to. My children growing up and being taught by people who um, you know are good Christian women and men. Um, and get to be raised in a Christian church, and like live, want to live the way that um, those older generations have taught them. Um, and some, some it could be somebody that um, could mentor them um, and just help them throughout, you know, their younger years. If they don't want to come to me, they have somebody else to come to.
0: They have multiple examples to, to look to. Okay. Um, let me turn back to our our elders again and ask, in your years of experience of walking with the Lord and where you see the nation now or the, the church in America now, uh, what spiritual lessons do you think we need today in order to to guard against what's coming or how we can, we can best walk with the Lord as a church?
1: Well, we need to realize that the scriptures are our, our source for everything. God revealed himself through nature and through the scriptures. And so the scriptures are answer to all of these questions mm-hmm. that are coming along now so far as morality and all this is concerned. And I'm so out of feel on so many of these things till uh, it's, it, it might be pitiful for me and not for them. <laughs> because with the, with the acceptance of all of these things that are taking place today in society, and uh, we as church are, are having, if, if we don't buckle down to it, well, we're going to be in trouble if we, if, when these things come along, but we can't deviate from what the scripture says, and i'm just that sound i'm just that sound in the scripture to know I know god's sovereign he, he knows all about this and he working. on I'm very well aware of that, but uh, we've got to we've got to still even if we and I, that's why I feel sorry for our young people coming along now uh, when when they go to college. Uh, no longer are they educated in in college; they're indoctrinated, and, uh, and unless they have a good foundation in the scriptures and know where they stand, even at that, it's going to be uh, it, it's going to be rough for them. Uh, I was reading in the paper a couple of weeks ago, where I think it was in about uh, five or six years ago, uh, the thing was not, and now they say. That 69% of our teenagers are depressed, and a lot of them are anticipating suicide. And the reason is because they don't have any background. They don't have any any. any they don't have any soul. You might say they've not been taught. And unless our children know what God says and, and are willing to do what He says, then they're going to be in trouble. And and what are we as parents going to do? Grandparents. Great grandparents.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think about all of this a lot and uh, the troubles that we have. Oz Guinness spoke for the graduation at Trinity Academy where Allison teaches in Raleigh. She said we have a speaker for our graduation Oz Guinness. I'm like what? So 21 students here's a guy who speaks to thousands and Speaks in, at Harvard and Stanford and places like that. And he talked about how that knowledge used to be passed from one generation to the other. And there were always, there were lanes in which it was passed from one generation to another. Men to boys, women to girls, racial, socioeconomic. Um, and as he was saying now, of course, here's how kids are raised. They raise one another. It's not being passed from one generation to another. When I was a teenager, um, there was this spirit. <sighs> there was a real conflict between the generations.
0: Everything was a proverbial fist in the face. It was,
2: and it was but it was, there was engagement. Well, you know, we're getting back to that the last couple of years, mm-hmm. but for a long time, there was the same spirit, but it looked entirely different. This is what it was. Yeah, whatever. Yeah,
0: yeah, I sure hear,
2: I hear you, and I don't care. Hmm. I'm apathetic. Again, this is—we're raising kids are raising each other.
0: Devices and, and social media. And
2: without yes, and without a sense of history, we're doomed, and there is no connection. They don't even teach
1: past. history anymore in school. No. And I I heard a man on TV who was one of these who helped, in, helped invent one of these things. He said he would not let his child have one until he was at least ten years old. Think about it now. And I think here's the kids in this, and they don't know how to do anything else. You can't you can't uh, tell them something to do. They don't know how to do it. And so uh, what what's going to happen? What's going to happen? I'm kind of glad I'm. Right down (laughs) tipping. I won't have to put up with that.
2: (laughs) I asked Jim if he would preach my funeral. He said, I'd be glad to.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me dig into your past a little bit more and ask uh, the culture that you were raised in and where culture and society is today. I want you to answer either or. Either what has changed that has startled you or what has stayed the same that may be surprising is the
1: same. Yes, for yes, me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think one of the things that has changed so much is uh, the the family. Um, I'm glad to see that uh, parents love their children and let them know it. Mm-hmm. When I was coming along, my parents never told me they loved me. Uh, they never bought. They never hugged me. Mm-hmm. And, but I didn't think like, that's just the way it was. That's the way it was. Yep. And you didn't think any, anything about that. And the trouble is today, people don't realize that that's the way it is. And uh, we don't know what we're doing, so they're going to change it. And I find it hard to talk with a lot of young people because I'm, so, I'm just an old England thing that don't, doesn't know he's talking about. So I, I think about this. I look at my, gener- my, my childhood through the Depression. We didn't have anything. We didn't have anything. But I look at these teenagers now and where they are. Man, I wouldn't swap places with them for the world. They can have all of these things. But what is it, what is it, what is it doing for them? Are, are, they, are they learning? Are they able to face life with all this stuff? So we need to be careful how we uh, push all these things out before our children. And, and uh, a lot of people, well, uh, shut up. <laughs> Well,
2: I, I think one thing that never changes is, again, the younger generation finds it difficult to understand how older folks can't see progress. Uh, and I think another thing that never changes is the older folks think that the younger ones are crazy, you know, and really it doesn't change. But the, the change is the curve of technological advances that's like this. And so we don't know; we have no idea how that's going to impact us, and you see people that are aware of it and trying to bring a little bit of balance, but I don't know
3: somewhat related to the that technology curve, you know, as parents of young children today, uh probably our biggest challenge is preparing them for a world that we can't even comprehend they say that 50% of the jobs our kids are gonna have haven't been invented yet. Mm. So h- how do we raise them to, to be uh, an example of Christ's light and to, to shine in this world and prepare them for the world? We don't know what it even looks like. And, and I think the answer is, is not any kind of specific technical training, but it is uh, just that broad, that general uh, instruction in Christian life and, and being raised in this type of a, a Christian community that will provide that foundation and, you know, as my dad always said, you, you, you build the foundation and then let them, you know, put the finishing on the house. And, and, and that's kind of where our faith needs to be. And like, like Jim said, that the answer will always be in Scripture, regardless of whether you're receiving the question over the Internet or, you know, pen and ink. <laughs> However, uh, that's where the answer will be, and that's where our faith and our effort has to be, in my opinion.
1: Well, Young ahead. people, children don't have anything to do this day and time. I mean, no job or no nothing. I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to go out in the backyard and mark off you a place about six feet long and four feet wide, give them a shovel, and tell them to dig that down to five feet. And then after they dig it down five feet, tell them to cover it back up.
0: Fill it back in.
1: <laughs> give them something to do. don't have anything to do now. And no wonder they're so messed up. And if uh, we don't give my... Well, okay. Well, yeah.
0: (laughs) Both Ben and Jim, you've you've both kind of answered my next question, so let me ask it and see if there's any more that any of you want to add to it. And that is, uh, what practical steps, especially you, Ben, because you're you're caught in the middle. You have the energy and passion of youth, and you have the experience and wisdom of some, some age. So what practical steps can we as a church take to harness the zeal, Of youth and the wisdom of the aged. Scripture has been the theme tonight, Um, lay that foundation with Scripture, Um, instill appreciation in them by a work ethic and faith, introduced to the faith. Are there any further practical steps that uh, you would recommend?
2: I think uh, while Ben is thinking, formulating his response, we're both preachers, so we've always got something to say, but um, I do think that it is incumbent upon us at every generation to understand the other generations as best we can. Now, David Calvert will tell you. I I fail miserably at that sometimes, and we fail together at that sometimes. Just over the years, we've been working together for a long time, and I've watched David grow and mature uh, to the fine man that he is. But his wife, wife, it was after he got married that it really, that curve, (laughs) you know, that exponential. Um, Gosh, I was going to say something that is really... uh,
0: it was profound. Yeah,
2: it was profound, but it'll have to wait. I'll, I'll jump back in in a minute, I'm oh, sure. Oh, my dad. I, I, one of the things that I appreciate about my dad was that he taught me to appreciate adult humor, and I, I, don't, I mean the humor of adults, not uh, shady humor. But I knew how... To laugh with old guys that told jokes that wouldn't be that funny to most people in my generation. But when you understand the humor of a people, you understand that, that group of people.
0: You've made the connection. If
2: you, like if you, in a foreign language, if you can get the humor of that language, then you understand people at a different level. And just to appreciate all things, rather than saying, that is so corny or that is so stupid. But to try, what is it about that that appeals to that age? Yeah. And the all generations tend to, ah, oh, how do you listen to that? How do you watch that? How do you, you think that's funny? We just need to try to understand each other better.
1: I think one of the things that's so lacking today is... Uh, honor.
2: Uh, and uh, I agree with this wholeheartedly.
1: Uh, this, this, uh, in Jan- February's table talk, we've got the whole issue about honor. And uh, C.S. Lewis wrote, We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. Lewis' observation more than 55 years ago falls far short in assessing the widespread disregard for honor in our day. Honor is no longer merely laughed at today, it is now mocked, ridiculed, and despised. Moreover, many of the cultural heroes of young people today are disrespectable and dishonorable sports figures, pop stars, and self-made social pundits. It is no wonder uh, uh, that, uh, that this is the case when the traditional authority figures are torn down and when men are portrayed as, as idiotic fools on television shows and commercials, And the honorable men and women of the past are derided as out of step with the progress we're thinking about. And so uh, this this past Monday was a moral day. Hmm. I don't know how many of you watched the program on Sunday night on on PBS. I did, and uh, I I watch it every year because I, 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 I question whether we honor those who have, made it for us able to be here today. And uh, I, they gave the story of a couple of these fellows, and one of them, he was in, on, in VE day. He was a medic, and time he got there on the shore, he got shot in the arm, and he was helping, helping some of the others. And then he got shot in the leg, and some of them wanted to get him. He said, no, I'll get somebody else. And he said, next to him was a fella lying there, and his arm, as the tides came in, his arm, so we came up and down. And I, th- I, th- I put myself right around with those guys. I said, suppose that was I over there and going through this. And they did it that I might be able to be here today. The, the fellow that lived right th- next door to us, to four or five years old am, he didn't make it back. I got a cousin uh, li- down the door, uh, I about uh, uh, my, he didn't make it back. One of my best friends in high school, he didn't make it back. I did, I did, and for me to act like that there are a bunch of idiots who went through all of this, and that 's the way I feel that so many are looking at our veterans today and what they went through when I see these idiots dropping their knees and and not saluting the flag and and all this man, uh, go ahead, let me quit now. how do you how do you really feel about
2: it <laughs> <laughs> i i I have to say this, too. We've talked about it a lot in your parenting class. Honestly, I think one of the most important things parents can do is to teach their children to respect all adults. Yeah. It's assumed that a lot of adults are trying to mess with your kids. And there and there's some bad adults. But let's deal with it, you know, as we come to it. If you have no respect for adults, and kids today have yeah. very little respect for adults, we... We, I don't know where we can go. There, it's like Paul Johnson says: a relativistic society will degenerate into uh, confusion, confusion to chaos, chaos to anarchy, and out of anarchy, order will come. But it won't be the kind of order that you want. And the discipline and order that Jim's been talking about—that is so lacking—and we we apologize for so much is really going to be the ruin of us.
0: Well, we're running down on our time, but before I get to the final questions, this question was sent in for for Jim. It says, Mr. Aycock, would you rather have been born when you were or after the year 2000?
1: I'll be honest with you. I'm glad I was born when I was. I was because I'd have been born at 2000. There's no telling what I might be today. I don't know, because of with all of the things that you have the the conveniences and the apparatus that you have to get in trouble, and all these things i might I, I might have been run along with these depressed and ready to commit suicide, but back then you didn't have sense enough to do that. You just everything that's just the way it was. You
0: were too busy digging a hole. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I learned that in the military. (laughs) You did not have anything to do. You went on and dug a four by six and covered it up. By the way, that verse uh, is talking to
2: about a 35-year-old man.
0: Mm.
2: Let no one despise your youth, for your youth. That's what we estimate Timothy was, somewhere in that mid-30s.
3: In reference to what Jim was saying earlier, they never thought about what they didn't have and i think had he been born in 2000 uh the problems we're facing now is that we we don't think about what we do have hmm. it's it's you know it's flipped and so the challenge is it, you know you can go through life without ever hearing these perspectives and hearing these stories and so that interaction when we talk about practical ways to to pass this along uh my prepared answer to that was my bit about the marriage matters but uh so that that small group interaction whether it's home groups or it's you know, men's breakfast or women's prayer, uh, women's Bible study, uh, any opportunity we have to engage across the multi-generational spectrum there um, should be valued and should be uh, prioritized, I think.
1: We need to be grateful and thankful for what we have, and I'm afraid that...
0: Um, Let me turn to Semi again. Um, With children's ministry burgeoning, uh, the nursery is growing, it seems... Weekly, if not monthly, um, what does it mean to you that this church family uh, is a family of all ages? Or what is it that you want to pass along from older generations to to your kids?
4: Um, definitely wisdom. Um, something that my parents taught me growing up was respecting my elders, and um, that was always very important to me, and um, I am very family-oriented, so I love to see my family every week, and um, we always get together and have parties, and um, I'm really close to some of my cousins. I, I would call them brothers, and, um, you know, that's something I want for my kids inside the Christian church, as well as my family, but... Um, I want them to respect the older generations and talk with them and have good relationships with them so that they can learn from them because that's something that I got to do growing up because I talked to a lot of my uncles and aunts and grandparents um, and I was always willing to listen to them and hear their advices and um, I feel like I was very fortunate to be able to listen from to, about their experiences and learn from those experiences and apply it to my own life. And I want that for my kids. And I want um, them to have good Christian models because <laughs> um, that was something I didn't have. Um, but, yeah.
0: A second family. Mm-hmm. And one that we can also respect um, final question then, I was listening recently to um, a report that there's a chaplain who goes into um, assisted living homes and um, they have a community time where instead of engaging those with dementia in conversation, uh, they engage through singing hymns and they actually get a lot of feedback, uh, positive Engagement because these folks with Alzheimer's and, and dementia actually come out and they start singing the hymns that they grew up on. Um, so with that kind of anecdote uh, running through your mind, uh, how can the church serve those who are unable to attend? And we have an example of that tonight with uh, uh, Jim McLaughlin taking care of, of Diane. And uh, there's one thing we we kind of chuckled over the phone is, well, this is one way that you can help us out is by getting our prescriptions filled and carrying them to us. So what are some ways that you think that we can serve those who are aging or cannot attend? Treat with dignity
2: um, and show up, just be there. and, and ask good questions. One of the ways that you serve is to indicate an interest in their lives. And I mean, we could... I started to say after Jim gave his first talk, I started to say, I yield my time, you know, <laughs> to the gentleman
1: on the end. I'm not quite there yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well... I don't know if you can imagine, but this particular topic, how to engage among generations, was actually difficult for me to find um, a, a lot of good resources. There, there were a few that uh, I ran across, and after leaving here tonight, we may think of others that would be very helpful, but you can see on the screen, and we'll have these linked um, on the, the podcast upload as well, so you can um, click on these links. There are Nine Marks articles that talk about how to engage and or pastor uh, a congregation with multiple generations. There's a World Magazine article that uh, specifically talks about um, how to honor and serve our elders. And there are a couple of books, uh, Messy Church, as well as Pathways to Belonging that talk about all aspects, um, having kids with you in the service, having grandparents with you in the service, and how to Everything in between. So those resources are available to you. And before we end, is there any last comment, any last word from our panel?
1: Let me make one suggestion. Um, I think it would be good if somebody in the youth group, they would get the names of some young people who are willing to do little odds and ends. And if some of us old dogs that can't do it, then we can call that person, and he would know who to send. And I, I think that would be beneficial because I'm getting so I can't. Huh. <laughs> I need some help it's Only sometimes. 93. I can't.
0: You need help digging that hole. Yeah. Huh? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're filling it in.
4: Um, I also think maybe um, kind of like along those lines, like maybe setting up some sort of mentorship program where, I mean, both generations could probably learn from each other, doing things for one another and like maybe helping them, helping the younger one with whatever they might need, you know, going through whatever they're going through.
3: Likewise, uh, our home groups tend to kind of form themselves generationally. And so uh, perhaps some of those older home groups could we maybe partner with a, with a younger one and it'd be a great opportunity to, to kind of just maybe uh, attend each other's home group every so often and, and kind of interact and in like an exchange program almost maybe and then could uh, you know uh, share uh, prayer requests and, and uh, other types of requests for things and idea.
0: Maybe summertime is a good time to introduce that since uh, the schedules are a little more free-flowing that uh, maybe families would, would be willing to, to meet across the, the life stage divide. All right, well, well, thank you all for your input, for your wisdom, for infusing uh, wisdom with passion, and I hope we can carry it forward through the, the Spirit's power uh, both to honor and to serve one another. And Ben, I hope you don't mind if I put you on the spot and just ask for you to pray for us as we go.
3: Father, we we come to you this evening just so thankful that you you've put us here in this time and place, and that you've you've given us this opportunity to come together. You've given us this day and and every breath we've taken, and we just again thank you for our multi generational church that that we. We each every, each and every one of us has a role model has a, a mentor uh, father we, we know we have them just we pray that you would give us the, the encouragement and the motivation to to seek that mentorship to and to to be discipled and to disciple others father we know that this is this is your design for a church and for a family we're incredibly grateful for that uh, and again we just we thank you for all of our very many blessings. We we thank you that you love us, despite ourselves, despite our, our best efforts to please you, Lord. We, we know that your grace, your grace abounds, and that uh, we most of all thank you for the sacrifice of your Son, the forgiveness of our sins. Father, we again, we just thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.